0: All right, things are going to seem a little bit backwards and upside down. But I'd like a chance to explain myself, if that's okay. So you are getting my show notes as well as uh, the notification of this episode being published late in the afternoon or maybe early in the evening of December 18th. Normally, I do this at about 4 o'clock in the morning. And frankly, I feel pretty good about it because uh, my voice is fresh. My mind is usually pretty fresh. But uh, my schedule is a little bit turned around this week. I'm filling in for my friend Bill Colley on uh, KLIX 1310 in Twin Falls, Idaho. Now, this is not just, you know, uh, yes, we need a headphone insert for four hours. Uh, Bill has a magnificent audience. He's really a remarkable host. So for me to get a chance to fill in for him, um, it accomplishes two really incredible things. Number one, it gives Bill a chance to enjoy the week before Christmas. And I mean, really enjoy it, lightens his load a little bit. It also gives me a chance to get in front of and to interact with a real live radio audience. And I mean, a real live heritage radio audience right back in the market where I started. Now, unfortunately, it means that my schedule's a little bit... uh, Caddy Wampus for the next few days. So if you can bear with me, I will be doing my show. I'm not going to forego it. I'm not taking this week off. I might take the week after Christmas off or at least a couple of days, but for the most part, I want to get this information out there. I want to thank the sponsors too who make this show possible. I want to specifically highlight Ironsight Brewing Company. if you are a if you're a coffee aficionado, how does 72 hours from the roaster? to your coffee cup. That's how quickly they can get the coffee to you. It's a subscription coffee service, well worth your time. If you click on the link I provide in my show notes, IronsightBC.com, you'll find they have a lot of fun swag as well. Also, I want to thank QuiltAndSew.com, TMCP Nation, that's John Harvey's podcast, the Modern Conservative Podcast, as well as LifesavingFood.com. Now, something else you're going to notice about today's show, it's going to be notably shorter than typical in fact it's going to be one segment so you're getting something this this one because of the way that i'm recording it is not going to air on uh, it's not going to air on the radio station in southern utah as as my show normally does normally they carry it on the weekend this one is going to be a weird length of time and so it's just it's not going to work for for the radio format but i wanted to get this out there because there are a couple of things that came across my desk that i just felt like were worth sharing with you one other thing and I don't want to sound like the guy who just turned 58 last week and now is is sounding like an old man. But my health has not been great here the last few days. And it's not that I'm really in danger and, oh, I'm just, poor me. I just haven't felt well. I think I've had some kind of a bug that alternates between making me feel like maybe it's kidney stones. No, maybe it's the flu. No, maybe it's bronchitis. I don't know. But it always seems to go for my throat, right, for the voice and so far, knock on wood, it's been hanging on. If I can just get through this week, you know, it's it's going to be great. So with that in mind, please forgive me for being a little late, but uh, I have some great stuff to share with you. Um, I'm, I'm going to forego a lot of the big stories that everybody's talking about. What's that? Gay sex in the Senate, uh, you know, congressional hearing chambers. There's some pretty, pretty hinky stuff going on in Washington, D.C., and, and I have to ask, when when some really salacious story like this comes out, you have to wonder, what is that supposed to be distracting us from? In other words, why are we looking in that direction? Well, very few people seem to be talking about this massive uh, um, collection of naval warships that is that are gathering in the Red Sea. I'm talking from at least six different nations. There are large groups of warships, and I can only assume that something... Pretty serious is coming. In fact, I actually was talking with some folks today uh, um, in in local elected officials, uh, of elected positions rather. And uh, you know, one one of those individuals confided to in me, "I'm I'm worried about what I see for the coming year." Now he's not being fearful, and I'm not trying to spread fear. This is someone who's just paying attention and recognizes we are getting so polarized as a country. And so it stands to reason that you think it's been hard to tell the truth or you think it's been difficult to, you know, discern, you know, truth from error and, you know, what's real from misinformation. I think it's going to get a lot tougher over the next year, especially when you throw all the election stuff in. It's, it's going to get ugly. We don't have to get ugly in order to meet the challenge, but we need to be aware that You know, there are many, many efforts to deceive us and to keep us looking in the wrong direction. And so I picked a couple of stories that I think will not only help you feel better informed about what's going on, but also give you some tools that you can pick up and start working with right now, today, to make a difference that only you can make right where you're standing. All right, let's start with uh, the first one here, since money is one thing that everybody needs it stands to reason that those who wish to control the masses first must control the money supply. Now, James Howard Kunstler spells out the coming reality of money for nothing and nothing for money. And I, I like his take because he's just very straightforward and he pulls no punches. So he starts with a quote from Ludwig von Mises. Society lives and acts only in individuals. Everyone carries a part of society on his shoulders. No one is relieved of his share of responsibility by others, and no one can find a safe way out for himself if society is sweeping toward destruction. That's a little bit sobering, isn't it? Now, James Howard Kunstler says, remember, you are a sovereign individual, and the blob in our nation's capital city is an undifferentiated mass of feckless protoplasm. You contain a cosmos of ideas and aspirations. The blob is an agglomeration of sham and failure. The blob stands for itself, not for our country. You and I can stand for our country. And he says, remember also that the economy of, the, of our country, at its best, was the sum of choices made by sovereign individuals, while the economy of the blob is a gelatinous buildup of unsound hypotheses, no, having nothing to do with the pursuit of happiness. We sense this in the menacing rumors of a Federal Reserve digital currency which entails the rehypothecation of our hopes and dreams into the blob's waste stream, turning everything we do, and he says it can't be put delicately into crap. The Fed de- the Fed digital currency will be used to cover up the failure of end-state financialization of the economy. Finance, you understand, used to be a module of the economy with a particular role to play. The purpose of finance, formerly, was to marshal surplus wealth from, productive, from prior productive activity to make new productive activity possible. Financialization, however, does not do that. Financialization was an effort to replace the economy of real production with a hologram of production. Financialization is a racket, and a racket, remember, is an effort to get something for nothing, that is, dishonestly. The blob feeds and thrives on dishonesty, its favorite food. Financialization seeks to replicate value not from wealth-producing activity, but from things that can only claim to represent wealth. Stocks, bonds, currencies, and anything else that can pretend to hold value clear up to notions and wishes. Its operations are based on derivatives because they aim to derive additional wealth from things that signify wealth but which are not wealth itself. Each iteration of a derivative further abstracts its value from the real things originally signified, such as revenue-producing businesses, interest-bearing loans, leases, and contracts for delivery of commodities. Derivatives can be understood as false wealth, and when enough of them accumulate in a financialized economy, they will blow up the economy, spewing wreckage across an economic landscape. Now, Kunstler says many observers of of that landscape await such a blow-up at any time now. They say it could take the form of a stock market crash, a bond market failure, bank shutdowns, disorders in money or currencies. All of that can impoverish and immiserate a lot of people. We are living through a corrosive early phase of that now, the overture of a big blow-up itself. And the effects are felt keenly through the middle classes who struggle in futility to pay their bills, keep their cars running, and feed their children. The financialized economy was primed to blow up in September of 2019 when symptoms of severe distress materialized in an arcane corner of the system known as the reverse repo market where where banks loan each other money on extremely short term, usually overnight, to provide so-called liquidity, meaning the appearance of solvency. Now he says the crisis expressed itself as a dangerously sharp rise in interest rates. The Fed came up with enough liquidity to paper over the crisis and then, miraculous to relate, the COVID-19 emergency a few months later, gate later gave them cover to print trillions of dollars and distribute the so-called money rapidly into the on-the-ground economy where people bought the things of daily life. The result of that monetary mischief was today's inflation. Inflation, of course, is one way of going broke. You have a lot of money that is increasingly worthless. The other way of going broke is deflation where you have no money. In the aggregate of deflation, no one will have any money, so at least you'll have company in the misery of being broke. He says, my guess is that a grievous deflation is where the current situation is headed. Deflations are provoked when people and companies can't meet their debt obligations, can't service their loans, in other words, pay interest, or pay back contracted sums of borrowed money, or simply can't pay their bills. Every loan that goes bad causes some money to disappear, poof, and when a lot of that happens, there is no money. Now he reminds us the Federal Reserve digital currency is a kind of last resort way around that. It's a simple way for the system to pretend there's a lot of money around when really there isn't any. It has the huge additional advantages by way of of, uh, computerized accounting to allow the authorities to control what everybody spends their money on. Especially the ability to block the purchase of this or that, a train ticket, gasoline, meat, if the authorities feel like it. It also enables the authorities to extract taxes, duties, and penalties at will without any cooperation from the citizen. A Fed digital currency would be a giant step into the worst kind of exquisitely targeted tyranny. The excuse, of course, would be national emergency. He says a digital currency would likely be first tested among the most indigent in society, those with little or no income. It already is, actually, in the debit cards currently issued to illegal border jumpers. Their card accounts are refilled monthly, making this the equivalent of a guaranteed basic income. Next, this privilege will be extended to the lower economic ranks of American citizens and so on upward until the whole middle class and even the lower levels are enlisted. And then the authorities will have the ability to push everybody around. At least that's the hypothesis anyway. He says, I don't believe it's going to work. The authorities have underestimated the number of citizens who know what it means to be sovereign individuals. They will decline to be pushed around. They might even push back, start stomping on the blob's tentacles as it reaches across the land. The citizens of one region or another of our country might go so far as to establish their own money, which would make them sovereign regions of sovereign individuals. And that's going to be a problem that the blob and blobism cannot overcome. That's a really interesting take, and I hope it's something that I, that we see come to pass. I know there are state governments that have said, hey, by the way, we want to affirm that gold and silver are, in fact, legal tender for the purposes of purchasing or paying debts in this state. Keep an eye on this. This one, this one might get more important as time goes on. All right. Last thing I want to share with you, it's a special message for fathers. I've looked at the demographics of who listens to this show. And it's it's a lot of guys, primarily. You look at uh, men between roughly thirty five and about sixty years of age. That's the sweet spot. That is probably seventy percent of my listening audience. And I, oh, you're preaching to the choir then. look, i'm I'm speaking the truth for guys who are looking for direction and and anybody else, okay? ladies, you're not you're not left out if if this is what matters to you. If you want to know the truth, I speak the truth as I best understand it. Now, of course, I don't have all the truth. I certainly don't have all the answers. I'm not that smart of a guy. But for guys who are serious about being a better husband and father, I want you to check out the link that I include in today's show notes on 25 ideas that will make you a better husband and father. And these are really simple things. Let me give you a couple of examples. Number one, your son will follow your example. Your daughter will marry it. So be a good example. Okay, I would have scoffed at that before I had kids or even when my kids were really young. I have adult kids now. Five adult children and one 15-year-old who's rapidly becoming an adult. It's as true as can be. you got to be a good example. And, it's, and trust me, I've, I've not always been a good example. So I, I recognize that importance more than ever. Number two, the three sacred roles of a father are to protect provide, and prepare. I'm guessing those are things that matter to you or you wouldn't even be listening to this program. Number three, one day your kids will ask you to play for the last time. Ban the words, not now, and I'm too busy from your household. That's really sobering because you won't realize it's the last time. And and frankly, neither will they. Number four, the less dependent you are on other people, the more power you have. In the end, autonomy is the metric that matters most. Most. By the way, I'm working on a project with my friend Russ Anderson called the Sovereign Biped, And I'll be telling you more about this in the days ahead. But come the first of the year, we are going to be launching a project specifically designed to help people reclaim their autonomy. I think you'll find it really exciting. I hope you'll be a part of it. Number five, the greatest measure of a man is the health and happiness of his family. Number six, your kids don't benefit from a promotion if it means they get to see you less. Oh, man. Time you get to spend with your family is what makes you wealthy. It took me a while to see that, but uh, now that most of them have moved out and gone their own ways and live halfway around the world, I see that more clearly than ever. Number seven, your wife doesn't want you to need her. She wants you to choose her every day. Number eight, never stop doing the things that attracted your wife in the first place. Number nine, fatherhood isn't an excuse to let yourself go. It's a mandate to make yourself better. Number 10, don't just show your kids you love them. Tell them, too. They need to see it and hear it. I don't know about you, but I was raised in a generation who was raised by a generation that, uh, you know, my, my grandparents... I don't think that they were, it was they loved their kids. They were not unloving people. But they really didn't vocalize things like, I love you, to their children. Affection was just not something that that generation that weathered the Great Depression, World War I, World War II, all of those hard times, they weren't as touchy-feely. And I'm not saying it like it's a bad thing, but I, I do know this. It is important that your kids hear you tell them that you love them. There should never be a question in their mind that they are loved. Number 11, take fewer pictures, make more memories. No amount of money will buy back missed time with your kids. Again, this is one I was pretty slow to come to. The idea that, uh, well, you know, things are important, so let's get them some fun things. If you can do things that, if you can give your kids the things that make memories, the experiences that make memories, you're giving them something that is of lasting worth. Arguably something that they do get to take with them, even after their life is over. Number 12, talk to your kids about money and business frequently. I mean, a lot of households, it was like, I don't know, that's impolite to talk about money. Maybe it was something they were self-conscious about. I don't know. I know that it was not widely understood or talked about in our home. There's a lot of stuff we had to learn the hard way as kids. Number 13, it's not your wife's job to make you happy. It's not your kids' job to make you happy. It is your job, and yours alone. Number 14, define your family values with your wife, and if your kids are older, let them help. Talk about them as a family every day. Look, as an individual, do you have regular I'll just I'll use the word rituals even though it probably sounds a little bit weird. Yes, I go out and dance in a loincloth around the fire pit. Why? Why do you ask? Do you have rituals, though, that remind you of who you are and what you stand for? Can I share one of mine with you? This, some people will, stri- this will strike as either superstitious or maybe unnecessary. But one ritual that I have become very attached to is every morning when I get up, and I get up bright and early. 4 a.m. is usually the time I'm, you know, sitting at my bench and, you know, doing my work. I make it a point to Pray. Before I type out words, before I speak, before I I do anything, I ask God to help me remember who I am and what I am here and what I what I'm here for and what I represent. And then I ask Him to take whatever it is that I'm doing this day, and I consecrate it to His purposes. I ask Him to guide my words. I ask Him to guide my writing. Help me recognize what people need to hear, and then help me share it in a way that it reaches their heart and makes sense. Like I say, for some people that's going to be like, okay, that sounds pretty superstitious. All I know is it brings me peace, which makes me think that uh, perhaps I'm, I'm in the right place here or I'm, I'm doing the right thing. All right, where were we next? Ah, here we go. Dads who devote time to themselves in the gym aren't selfish. This is number 15. Dads who neglect their health are selfish. Number 16, your iPad is not a babysitter. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, I had a few Disney movies that kind of kept the kids occupied from time to time. Uh, Number 17, fathers don't babysit. Father's parent. Number 18, yelling should be reserved for imminently dangerous situations only. When your kids are young, hold on tight. When your kids are older, hold on loose. That's one worth rereading a couple of times. Number 19, the greatest danger to your marriage that nobody talks about, boredom. Be exciting. No matter what the media says, your wife doesn't want you to have a dad bod. Well I don't think that's true. (laughs) I think she likes my sunken chest and puny arms and big gut. What she doesn't? Oh well. It's a good point. Number twenty one, playing with older kids is easier, just be interested in whatever they're interested in and do it together. Number twenty two, one of the most impactful ways to help your family thrive is to optimize your testosterone. I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what that means because for some people it would be, that's right, you work out, you eat meat, you do manly things. Some guys will take it as no. That means actually at some point in the day you should have direct sunlight on your scrotum. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but I just know the neighbors would be appalled if I told them that's what I'm doing. (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) Anyway, number 23, if you're led by your emotions, you cannot lead others. Number 24, your family is the most important business you'll ever run. Ooh, that one kind of hits hard. And number 25, your kids need to spend as much time outside as possible. Develop this habit as a family and develop it early. I have a link to this. It's actually a, a Twitter post. I hope that you'll take a look at it. And maybe not everything is just right for you, but I will say you could do a lot worse. Than the kind of advice being shared at least uh, in in this list of 25 things that will make you a better husband and father. If you're really brave you might even solicit your wife and say hey, any ideas? Anything you want to add to this? Thanks again for tuning in. Our show is brought to you by lifesavingfood.com Ironsight Brewing Company that's ironsightbc.com quiltandsow.com and tmcpnation.com I'll be back tomorrow, hopefully with Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos. And again, thanks for tuning in. This is The Brian Hyde Show.